2: Welcome to the Smirconish podcast for
3: independent minds. On the front page of today's New York Times, two speech controversies. One in my own backyard at my alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania Law School. A subject we've discussed previously, controversial law professor Amy Wax. Remember when she was a guest on this program? TC will never forget. The other from across the pond, a BBC broadcaster who's a legend. His name is Gary Lineker. Mark Landler writes that story. He's the London bureau chief for the New York Times, and he joins me now. Mark, thank you for coming back to the program. Before I talk about what he said, what he did, first tell me, who is he?
4: Uh, So, um, hi, Michael. Uh, Gary Lineker is probably the best-known, highest-profile sports broadcaster Uh, in Britain, and a lot of his um, charisma and mystique and reputation comes from the fact that he was a champion uh, soccer player. He was a striker. He played on the England team, Um, and among many uh, career distinctions, he's known for never having been penalized with a yellow or red card in his entire professional career, which is a truly extraordinary feat. Um, so he's he's kind of a, he's a very beloved figure. I don't know what the analogy in the U.S. might be. I mean, various former quarterbacks have become successful commentators, um, but he's almost more than that. He's really the best known of the people who speak and analyze uh, soccer in, in uh, the United Kingdom.
3: And you report that he is the BBC's highest-paid on-air personality. He makes 1.35 million pounds, or about 1.6 million or did in 2022.
4: Yeah, that's right. And he's been the highest paid uh, employee of the BBC for several years. He's been the host of something called um, Match of the Day, which is a, a flagship soccer program in uh, in Britain for since 1999. So he's been a broadcaster for years and years. He's, he's really a fixture. You know, a lot of people just think of, the weekends in Britain, as including Gary Lineker. So,
3: what's the controversy?
4: Well, Gary Lineker is also uh, a man with strong political opinions, and he has um, occasionally, and uh, perhaps even regularly, tweeted his views on a variety of issues. Most recently, a new immigration law that the British government uh, has proposed, which is meant to cut down on asylum seekers coming across the English Channel uh, and landing in England. Um, He thinks this law is inhumane, is is sort of savage, uh, and he likened it in a tweet uh, to having the kind of language that was used in 1930s Germany you know, which is a a very charged comparison. And so a lot of conservative officials uh, in the government and in parliament objected to this, uh, particularly because Gary Lineker uh, appears on the BBC, which is meant to have a tradition of impartiality. And they argue that he was being inappropriately political. Uh, And the bosses at the BBC uh, agreed that he had violated their guidelines on social media. And so they suspended him uh, over this past weekend from hosting um, the show that he does. And that in turn led to a mutiny where most of his on-air fellow hosts walked off the job in solidarity with him. And it plunged the BBC into really quite an extraordinary crisis.
3: And now, am I right, Mark, that there's been resolution and he'll be coming back?
4: You are right. Yeah, there, there was a, there were tense negotiations all weekend long between the BBC and uh, Gary Lineker's representatives, and they arrived at a resolution. It was announced this morning. He's going to come back to the show this coming weekend. Um, you know, it's an interesting agreement because it's not clear to me that Gary Lineker actually conceded anything. Um, the the BBC agreed to have an independent review of its social media guidelines, acknowledging that those guidelines are somewhat fuzzy uh, and perhaps not uh, enforced in the most consistent way. Um, Lineker uh, tweeted a few very conciliatory statements about the BBC's. Uh, Director General Tim Davey said he loves the BBC's looking forward to resuming his relationship with them. But he didn't take back anything he tweeted. He didn't apologize for his language. He didn't promise to be more careful in the future. So I think here it's being viewed as a case of the star on air personality, uh, basically forcing the BBC pretty much to reverse course. Has there been any
3: uh Punishment, blowback at work relative to his prior tweets that have a a political significance or tone?
4: Well, Lineker has been in this situation before, although it never went as far as him being suspended. He's been talked to by management before, he's been urged to uh, watch what he does on social media. The reason it's, it's really complicated in his case is he's not a full time employee of the BBC. He also doesn't work for the BBC's news division. He's an independent contractor who works for the sports division. And I think the argument that he makes is that he's not bound by the same restrictions that say an anchor on a BBC news program would be. So I think his view is, I have more leeway, I have more latitude, and I'm going to take that latitude. So I think the honest answer is there's no evidence to me that he's really suffered more than, you know, this two-day suspension, which he just got through. There's no talk of docking pay. There's no talk of taking him off his program. I think he comes back, if anything, as an almost strengthened figure after, you know, the controversy of the last several days.
3: Is it breaking in the U.K. along partisan lines? I can only imagine if it were here in the States, there'd, there'd be a red version and a blue version.
4: Well, it's interesting you should say that. Yes, it, it does, in the sense that um, the people on the right uh, think that, you know, that Gary Lineker did go too far in this case and feel that he should have been disciplined. I imagine that the head of the BBC will now come under some criticism for having reversed course and not extracted any meaningful concession from Lineker. Um, But, you know, what's interesting about Lineker is he's not always predictable in his views. A few years ago, he tweeted something very critical about the former leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn. Um, And I'm sure back in the day, I'd have to go back and look, that probably people on the left thought that maybe Lineker was Uh, you know, uh, going over the guardrails. And maybe people on the right were absolutely fine with it. So it's sort of what you think depends on where you sit to some extent in this debate, as it does in the U.S.
3: I can only imagine that if Boris were still in office, he'd be all caught up in this. But Rishi Sunak probably taking a pass, at least according to your reporting.
4: Yes, Rishi Sunak, um, I think, played this very different than Boris Johnson would have. Boris Johnson delighted in uh, the culture wars, and he liked putting BBC in the middle of them. Uh, I doubt he would have not jumped at the chance. Uh, Rishi Sunak basically said, this is a matter between the BBC and Gary Lineker, I'm not going to get involved. Uh, I think it probably looks wise in light of the way things were resolved. Uh, I think it might have been a messier, longer term drama had Boris Johnson been, been in office still.
3: And and finally, in the court of public opinion, Mark, are you able to tell? Does does the public stand with Gary Lineker? Does the public think that he crossed the line, or is it too tar- uh, too hard to determine?
4: I, I think there was one um, snap poll done by youGov in the last uh, day or so that showed something like, and I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but something like fifty five uh, thinking the BBC made a mistake in suspending him, twenty two percent saying that the BBC acted correctly. And I think they broke it down on party lines. And of course, conservatives felt a majority of conservatives felt that the BBC was right to suspend him, while on the left, it was very different. So I do think he has popular support. He certainly had the support of his colleagues. And and honestly, I think part of the reason you haven't seen more of a concession from Lineker is because I think he thinks he's got the public on his side and he's got the moral high ground in this one.
3: I'm relying on Mark Landler and the New York Times for my insights to this story, but I can only imagine what the tabloids must look like today, right? They must be feasting on this.
4: Oh, it's been a huge story for days. I mean, any story that involves politics and the BBC is by definition a tabloid feast. But when you throw in the most popular uh, sportscaster in the country, right. you know, then the story goes truly into, into orbit. And so, you know, it, it's been a very, very big story. And, you know, I'm sure the papers to some extent may be sad that it it was resolved as quickly as it was this morning. <laughs>
3: right, right. Uh, Mark Landler, well presented. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it.
4: Not at all. It's nice to be with you, Michael.
3: You too. Mark is the London bureau chief for the New York Times. Let me, let me listen to his mellifluous voice, TC. See what this gent sounds like.
5: So, this is when he was uh, part of a tribute to Diego Maradona. Take a listen. Having
1: spent the time that I did with him, um, he's so revered. He's worshipped in Argentina. It constantly had a huge on to Argentina. And I went to a um, it, see match Genius of the day.
5: Play, and it was table he which is this huge set huge table family, knowing what you do about production costs, et cetera, you would know instantly that this is this is a big big deal. deal. Yeah, big deal. I know One people on POTUS listening are saying, wait, what did he say? He do? What did he do? What what Okay, here
3: it is from the Times. Mr. Lineker, who grew up in working class Leicester, has never kept his views on social issues a secret. When the government announced strict new immigration plans, he posted on Twitter This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. And I'm out of order? Asks it as a question mark. So this must have been in response to uh, someone else. Britain's Home Secretary, Swella Braverman, who is spearheading the policy to stop migrants from crossing the English Channel in small boats, said Mr. Lineker's comments diminished the atrocities of the Holocaust. Other conservative lawmakers said that he had misused his BBC platform, not for the first time, to voice a political opinion. Uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer Jeremy Hunt said, quote, we need to make sure we maintain that trust in the independence and impartiality Of the BBC. So there's that.
6: This is the Smirconish podcast from SiriusXM.
3: Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure ready RAV4.
2: Explore more stories like Alex's at Meta.com slash Metaverse Impact.
6: Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app.
3: And then also today on the front page of the Times, another speech matter, I say close to home, which begins this way. Vimal Patel wrote this under the headline, Toxic Professor Pushes Tenant of Tenure to the Brink. Yeah, a lot of alliteration there. Amy Wax, a law professor, has said publicly that, quote, on average, blacks have lower cognitive ability than whites. That the country, quote, is better off with fewer Asians as long as they tend to vote for Democrats and that non-Western people feel, quote, tremendous amount of resentment and shame. At the University of Pennsylvania, where she has tenure, she invited a white nationalist to speak to her class and a black law student who had attended Penn and Yale said that the professor told her she had, quote, only become a double Ivy because of affirmative action. Professor Wax has denied saying anything belittling or racist to students, and her supporters see her as a truth teller about affirmative action, immigration, and race. They agree with her argument that she is the target of censorship and wokeism because of her conservative views. I don't see Amy Wax's case as a case of wokism. If you want to see wokeism, and I'll bet many of you did see this, uh, we covered it at com. Go look at what just played itself out at the Stanford Law School where a Trump-appointed federal judge came to deliver remarks and, and was treated, I think, horribly by Stanford Law students. And there was an apology then was, was offered uh, uh, to him uh, by the dean of the law school, and I think the president of the university as, as, as well. But in the case of Amy Wax... And and how long will it take until she's embraced by Tucker? Probably tonight at eight o'clock Eastern time.
5: But isn't that a mistake by him? She's not. She's not the poster child. for No, wokeism. no, no, no.
3: He'll he'll be able to. Are he'll you kidding me?
5: Look how he was enabled
3: to, to to manipulate the the recent events regarding January six. He'll do just fine with this. Uh, look, if this were a case of of wokeism, you know, to some exponential level, I'd be on her side.
5: You'd be the first person to say
3: it. It's not. It's not. What I remember about this case, and when I say the case, I mean her generally, is that, and you know, we've played this before and I'm not going to play it again today. I just want to remind everybody. She was a guest of mine here. And when I questioned her about some of the statements that she had made about law students, she all of a sudden paused. This was like five minutes, seven minutes into the interview and said, are are you recording this? Like, are we live on air? I'm Like, yeah. And then she she claimed that I'd sandbagged her that she had no idea, and in real time, TC went into her computer, pulled out the emails where we'd invited her, telling her expressly this will be a live radio interview, yeah. and, and read she them just, aloud. And she just went silent. She just went silent. She went silent. I mean, she stayed on point, the line at and one went point silent. You were like,
5: Are you still there or something? Right. She's like yes. What what I
3: okay. but uh, I have to tell you when when you when you get into the when you get into the weeds of this case and I haven't gone back and read in again, I just wanted to flag the fact that it's on the front front page of the times today. But when you do, I remember this, that one of the things I found objectionable, she she's entitled to voice her opinion. She's in, she's got tenure. She can do this, but what she's not entitled to do from my recollection of the facts is that she said something like she'd never had, She'd never I better get it right or all of a sudden I'll end up in the mix of this. She, she disparaged, in my opinion, the standing of every student of color she'd ever had because she made a statement along the lines of none of them had ever been in the, the top half of their class. Well, she insofar as making that statement violated the academic privacy Uh, standards that would apply to any member of the faculty, because if I'm a black student, hey, you've just you've just told everybody what my grades are or what my grades weren't. Anyway, side by side, page one of the Times, you've got the Penn story and you've got the, uh, the story from London about the BBC presenter who now will be back in the fold.
6: This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM.
3: NetSuite.com slash NetSuite.com slash Smirconish.
2: Netsuite.com/smirconish, netsuite.com/smirconish. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts.
1: Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness.
2: He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly...
1: Patients who can see.
2: Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash impact.
6: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app.
3: Your odds are 1 in 9.2 quintillion. I'm in. 9.2 <laughs> quintillion. Gonzaga. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> The bracket is there. It's linked at com. Despite our best efforts, mathematicians dismiss the possibility that someone could fill out a so called perfect bracket, selecting 63 games correctly in knockout tournament as borderline preposterous. The odds may be best stated up front. There are 67 games in each tournament, but mercifully, most bracket contests allow participants to skip the four play-in games, treating each of the 63 remaining games as a 50-50 coin flip. The probability of predicting a perfect bracket is about 1 in 92 quintillion.
5: My recollection from last year was that it the first round was such a bracket buster that I think there was maybe one perfect bracket left in the entire country, and then it was very soon not. But I, I just I just remember it being crazy. It's always like you know, the Cinderella story. I know nothing. I love it.
3: Like I I enjoy watching it, but I just lack the the knowledge to make intelligent decisions about any of the teams. Well, you you don't have to make. I mean, you can just I look still at remember, the numbers. I still remember when <laughs> Lehigh upset Duke.
5: Yeah, Duke is surging right like now. Five they just or won six, the ACC
3: five or six years ago. That happened. I remember watching yeah. that with the, one of the most exciting basketball games for me that I could that I could ever watch.
5: Well, the other uh, sort of sports story that is on Smirconish.com is that umpire call. You got to see this. You told me I have to see it. It's back to it's so back pitches. Bad. It's so
3: clear that this guy just wanted to go home.
5: What, did he and just now he's was has even
3: watching? You, I mean. You know, normally there's a debate, TC, that's out there as to whether we should go robotic with regard to yeah. calling balls and strikes. Oh, well,
5: wait, well, that's how CBS starts. The case for robot umpires just got a little stronger as a Southland Conference umpire has been suspended indefinitely after making a Horrific. Horrific. Strike three call that ended Friday night's game between Mississippi Valley State and the University of New Orleans. Yeah.
3: I mean the play by play guy says this was <laughs> that was horrific. Oh, no. It was terrible. The worst call you could ever you could ever imagine. Oh dear. Go watch it at smirkonish.com. Okay, we have fine. a really good uh, diversity of story. We've we've got the sports, we've got the I mean you think about the news cycle. The news cycle against the backdrop of the 2024 presidential campaign campaign starting. You've got SVB. The brackets have now been published. The Oscars were last night. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a moment. There's a lot going on.
5: Okay, one more sports uh, thing. And this is uh, from a listener who suggested this as a possible poll question for Smirconish.com. Tell me. This is Tony from an undisclosed location. When the calendar turns to September 10th, 2023... Mm. where will tom brady be a miami dolphins huddle b nfl broadcast booth c on his couch with his kids uh
3: depends where giselle's modeling is at that stage because every time it's a great question i love it every time there's uh, did you see the the of her in the boots that was the one that came out this weekend these are made for walking (laughs) you're damn right they are uh Every time there's another set of, of photographs that come out of her just looking fabulous and doing terrific, it seems like the odds go higher that Brady wants to get back in and play football. I, I'm not kidding. There was the report last week that said that it's a prospect of him being in the Miami Dolphins uh, lineup soon.
6: The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirkanish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app.
2: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirkanish.com.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet?